I'm Safia Mini. Welcome to the Ethical Agenda podcast. Dominique Farmer, thank you so, so much for coming and joining on the Ethical Agenda podcast. And we'd love to know more about your work at the UK Student Climate Network and and how you individually came to be involved as as an activist. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. And yeah, my story as an activist really started last year in April. This was right before the Extinction Rebellion protests actually and I got involved in that and then after that I got involved in the Ecosystem Climate Network and the school strikes and what really got me like into climate activism and you know discovering about the climate crisis was I did see a strike happening like beforehand I was like you know why are these young people you know out in the streets because I was aware of the climate crisis but really not the severity to like the point in which it was and also you know, in my area, I started seeing, like, campaigns and posters about, like, air pollution and the amount of people it was affecting. And I learned that, you know, there are areas that are being disproportionately affected right now and that are going to be impacted first. And that was quite personal to me. When you say areas that were going to be impacted mm-hmm. first, what, what do you mean? Oh, those were um, areas in London, specifically right. at the time. When it comes to air pollution, there are certain areas that have, like, higher air pollution-related deaths, especially. And... You know, my little brother had asthma and I just felt a bit personal to me. And also it made me realise a lot that because I was an advocate for like human rights as well. But it made me realise these things, these two things like in a strip can be linked together. Like we can't really separate them. And so that really put like a human face in the climate movement for me. That kind of environmental justice and social justice thing being you know, absolutely interlinked is, is, mm. is, is what I'm hearing. And yeah. gosh, so, so were you living in London then at, at the time? Or, so yes. you're, you're in Birmingham. What, what are you studying in Birmingham? Uh, politics and international relations. And I'm in my first year. So I've been living in London for most of my life. There's, of course, there are so many different things that, that will be lost through this, this, mm. this crisis. The breakdown of the biosphere, the ecological emergency that we have. You've talked a little bit about the, the impact on human health, the pollution as well, and, and, and social justice. Is there something that you bring to mind, apart from perhaps your, your brother? Are there other things that you bring to mind when you think, you know, oh my God, you know, I have to stay motivated? Yeah. And what are they, if I might ask? Yeah, I mean, so apart from social justice and, you know, I mean, really being like an activist for human rights and just being like really affected by seeing you know these natural disasters and seeing how people especially in the global south right now are being affected you know the two cyclones that hit Mozambique just recently and they're still recovering and you know just knowing that that's going to keep happening I think really keeps me going so I'm like there's people's lives here at stake and also I'm a vegan as well and you know I just love animals and I just thinking about just the beauty of of them and the world for me just it's just awful to imagine like a planet without it and you know this planet that is being destroyed like actually destroyed in this beauty that's being taken away you know those two things like really personally affect me. Thank you for sharing I mean we've had this this watershed moment of, of 2019 where 
uh, young people and adults have come together, but but the, the voice has been very very much pushed by by Greta and the student strikes and school strikes, and I think you've done the most incredible job. I think I became familiar with the Student Climate Network around the business declares a climate emergency, where you know the business community leaders were deeply inspired by Extinction Rebellion in April. Um, you know, really wanting to hear more from young people. And yeah. I think it was really, you know, generating a, you know, an, an urgency that, that some some people actually hadn't felt. Yeah. Tell me tell me more about the, the activities of uh, UK Climate Network. Dominique, I've seen on the, the website that you've got demands and, and I would love you to, to read them out for the podcast listeners. Yes, definitely. So the UK Student Climate Network, we have four main demands and our first one is called Save the Future. This means that our government needs to declare a climate emergency and then implement the Green New Deal, which is basically a just and prosperous transition to a green economy. Our second demand is teach the future. And this is where the education system like desperately needs to be reformed so that young people are aware of the urgency of the climate crisis. And that's they grow up knowing the severity of this crisis. Their demand is to tell the future. And so the government really needs to communicate the severity of the ecological crisis and the necessity to act now to the general public. And our fourth demand is to empower the future. And so, you know, young people must be included in policy making, and we're really pushing for votes at 16 because these young people don't have a vote. They don't have a say in a future that's going to impact them the most. And, you know, a lot of the hope has been coming from these strikes and from young people, and their voices really need to be heard and included within this process. And I think for the first time, last year you know we we heard very publicly a, a demand for intergenerational climate justice and i think that's um for intergenerational justice and i and i think that was um a very new concept and and really made a lot of people that were you know my age um, middle-aged or or, or or older understand that we had to act now we had to act together i mean there must be a a great sense of anger also yeah. at the neglect and the absolute ignorance that that people in very influential positions of, of power um, you know, seem to be oblivious of. Um, maybe you could you could talk to me a little bit about that your that that anger and that frustration. Yeah. Well, yeah, we really do need you know intergenerational justice, and we need you know this generation to preserve this planet for the next generation and one of the things that's really sparked the strikes in the last year especially like rapidly is the fact that you know young people you know were angry were like we feel betrayed and neglected for the lack of climate action and even now while we're seeing the impacts of the climate crisis and while we're saying you know this is our future that we're going to inherit and we can you know, we already know what's happening. We'll look at the IPCC report and they're just not following it. And so, you know, all that emotion has kind of really just driven this movement forward because young people feel it so personally. And it honestly does feel like leaders are betraying us right now and betraying those who are going to be impacted first and those who are already suffering from the climate crisis. So what would you like to say to 
people in, in senior positions in government when they have so much power that could you know, unlock you know opportunity to save lives to really radically improve the quality of, of, of life mm-hmm. for your generation and for generations to come what would you like to say to them I like to tell them to you know act on the science act on what we already know you know right now especially in the UK we're really pushing for a green new deal because you know that's the kind of radical change we need and you know these really small policies aren't really going anywhere if we're really to you know limit global temperatures under 1.5 degrees celsius above pre-industrial levels then we have to have like radical systemic change now and that's honestly what the Green New Deal really does. And it really promotes that whole shift in conversation. You know, it ensures that people aren't left behind and that communities don't disproportionately suffer. And it makes sure that, you know, there are new sustainable jobs for people and that, you know, that just transition to a green economy where people really don't get left behind. And, you know, it will count for those who, you know, will see those impacts the most. And so, you know, that includes infrastructure needed to benefit all workers, creating thousands of new, like, green paid jobs in sustainable sectors, which, you know, we know the governments can do because they come up with suddenly billions of pounds to bail out banks whenever they need to. So, you know, they do have the money for green financing and need to reduce the social and economic inequalities invested in communities, like invest that in the communities who need it need to protect and restore the threatened habitats and carbon sinks and making sure that communities right now all have clean water and clean air and like green spaces because you know there are a lot of communities who won't have that and we need to make sure that everyone you know we need to make sure that basically we build a society that is prepared for the impacts of climate change. Can you tell me a little bit about the history of the Green New Deal? So it mainly started in America, I think about two years ago mainly it was taking off in conversation and that's kind of being pushed for by certain politicians there and we've kind of taken that off in like a campaign in the UK and you know it really stems from environmental justice and I'm not too clued up on all of the history but that's really kind of where it originally stems from, like the idea of bringing social justice and the climate justice aspects together and, you know, pushing that forward. We'll have a link in the podcast notes. Any listener who wants to read more about uh, the Green New Deal mm-hmm. will be able to have a look at it. But there are basically five principles, as I can see here, the guide on the, the policy plan. As you said, a fundamental restructuring of the economy to deliver mm-hmm. good jobs and a habitable future. So principle one, total decarbonisation of, of the economy in the UK that's government-led, tenure mobilisation for just and prosperous transition into in, uh, including that infrastructural change to benefit communities and workers. And then principle two, um, to create millions of new, well-paid, secure jobs in sustainability and meaningful livelihoods for workers, yeah. including those, those high-emission sectors. And then principle three, massively reducing the social and and economic inequalities with investment targeted into those communities uh, where it's most needed in the UK and also as a result of the historic and and current oppression Um, so this green new economy would really create something that would create an equitable 
standard kind of going forward into communities. Yeah. And principle four, protecting and restoring, as, as you'd said, those um, threatened habitats and carbon sinks and ensure the provision of clean water, clean air and green spaces, and secure a, a safe and, and healthier environment for all. You know, this is a society that we want, isn't it? it you know, is. whether, whether you're your age or my age is what we what we all want principle five which is building a resilient society prepared for the impact of climate change which is now unavoidable and readying ourselves in unity to meet these challenges in ways that protect the most vulnerable including deindustrialized communities the global south the deprived rural communities communities of color migrant communities mm. low-income workers women the elderly the homeless and people with disabilities and young people so it's clearly a visionary ambition and this is all about creating a, a whole new system yeah. one that puts puts people and planet first or yes. planet and people central to everything we do yeah very exciting also changing the current system which currently puts profit over planet puts people first which is honestly what we need could you Tell me, from your perspective, what were the biggest achievements of 2019? I think in terms of the movement, one of the biggest achievements was just the scale of it, like how many people we managed to mobilise in a year, which is kind of like insane from you know when it started how many people was it globally or in the uk do you know in the uk well our biggest turnout in september for the global strike was five hundred thousand, which is just incredible you know that yes. many people on the streets for climate justice so i think that's like a massive achievement because it's kind of a raise the awareness in society as well and it's more on like the public's conscious but also you know that led to parliament declaring climate emergency even though it isn't like official that's still like a lot of recognition and it's still a step from where we were before and you know we still have a long way to go but I think in terms of really mobilizing people and having that basis to push governments into action is I would say is the biggest achievement 2019. And how do you think it's changed the awareness level of young people generally within the UK? I think it really has made young people feel, you know, more personal towards the climate movement because I feel like you know, we're very personal when we're talking when we're talking about it and when we're striking we're like, you know, the this is our future you know all these emotions are there and so a lot of these young people are like oh you know this is like this is something abstract like far away in the future you know this is today this is me and so I really think it's changed their awareness in that way and we've seen it by the increasing numbers that we've had and more people who are like more engaged in the climate now. What do you think are the best techniques to encourage you know more younger people to join the movement there are still you know huge parts of of the population that are not really yet woke to this yeah i think outreach is really important when it comes to certain groups that we might not have reached out to before and how can you do that would that be through is that through talks or is it through through encouraging people to protest or is it through i don't know music or fashion what, what, what do you think? It's a mix of all of them, really. Mm. Like having talks and working with groups, for example, you know, there are some social justice campaigns that, you know, we have 
been supporting or like aligning with because like you know both of our struggles line up and it's really about building those connections and building like a grassroots movement in that case but I also think with young people one of the massive things we need is like a massive like cultural shift like mindset because we are living in an age where young people are becoming increasingly aware of the climate which is amazing but we're also living at a time where consumerism culture is like on the rise and you know a lot of the things that are important to young people these days is you know mainly about you know they aren't like sustainable so I feel like we do need to change the mindset in that way you're right I mean it was interesting to to see so much so many young people and influencers and and even celebrities actually you know know, getting on board and and the kind of you know the Instagram pouts you know turning into something that had real meaning behind it when people were talking about their values and their politics and 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 their their fear of, of, of the climate crisis so how was social media used to to bring other students into the into the climate movement last year so social media has really been like amazing for us and just amazing for the whole movement like all around the world because you know as soon as you know, Greta was just sitting outside just you know by herself and then all of a sudden you know that sparked school strikes all around the world and it's so instantaneous like you can just open up your phone you can go on Instagram like and instantly you just have so much content and you see so many other people doing things and so it moves people more to be involved and it also really spreads awareness and it spreads the message across as well and it's also been really great to just organize strikes in general because when we put it on social medias more people can see it which is just it's pretty amazing and you know I feel like our generation more than ever uses social media and so we really have like an amazing platform to reach out to lots of people. I've heard uh, a number of friends who are business leaders who didn't really take the climate crisis seriously prior to last year but who have been deeply impacted by uh, and actually told quite strongly by their children and sometimes even their grandchildren to really you know wake up and smell the coffee I mean that's encouraged a lot of of people of adults and older people to really change their thinking have you have you also encouraged students to talk to their parents and to their grandparents and to, to other people around them about the climate crisis in order to really get people to wake up yeah I mean we definitely encourage that because you you do have more of an emotional connection you know to those around you and so they might see statistics they might see things happening and you know they kind of gloss over it but you know when it's your child telling you 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 need to wake up because you know my future is at stake that really does change something and you know we definitely encourage that because we need all these generations to come together really to fight this climate crisis like it can't just be us because it's you know it's not just our fight and so we need all of them together and when it comes to business leaders you know even a couple of weeks ago I was doing like a talk at this event with business leaders and you know my main message was that you 
business, look, we need system change. And, you know, business is a part of that system. And so kind of have to be a part of that change. And you do have power and you do have influence. And so you do need to start using it. How has it been with um, with your parents? Have they been very supportive of this? Or has, has it also been a great learning for them? Yeah, my parents have actually have been really supportive. Um, my mum was a bit worried about me getting arrested <laughs> and striked. But apart from that, it's been great. And they've become more aware, I feel like, of the climate crisis. They send me articles and things every day of updates, which I think is actually pretty great. You know, that's just like one case of like my parents becoming more aware and really supporting the the school strikes, which is important. And, you know, if we get everyone to do that, I think that would really make a difference. Dominique, there were big strikes that were planned around this year's Earth Day, which is the 50th anniversary of Earth Day on the 22nd of April. And uh, because of COVID-19, that won't happen, but there'll be a, a change of methods and tactics to disrupt business as usual. Can you talk a little bit about what you're seeing for the Student Climate Network? I know it's, it's a very, very recent decision, but could you tell us a little bit about what, what you think might happen? This year, you know, as you said, we're following the World Health Organization's guidelines and so we're not having the mass gatherings and everything but even if we're not on the streets like in massive numbers we still want to really push for climate action and so currently we have our climate strike online that we're doing and when it comes to Earth Day and later this year we don't have concrete plans yet but you keep updated like on all of our socials you know there are other smaller actions and things that we can do and that we have done just last week we had a Green New Deal action which was outside of Tendermann Street and it was a really really like visual action which was focused on having a budget for the Green New Deal and that was just like one small example of like actions we can do that are still placing pressure on them and so yes definitely keep updated there will be that that was really that action was was very very powerful it was a real missed opportunity wasn't it it was a pretty devastating budget for for the climate and climate action as it were it failed really to put the uk on track mm-hmm. to net zero emissions and to lead by example in advance of of cop 26 amazing that you were protesting outside and making it really clear that um, at least five percent of expenditure should be being used on climate action yeah in in as little as as a couple of hundred years we've moved from being a tiny percentage of of the 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 living mammals on this planet to really commanding 96 percent you know both of humans and then the animals that we put to work in order to eat them, with only 4% of wild animals left. I mean, it's a shocking statistic. And, and, and we, you know, we, well, the human race has been a plague, as it were, to the planet. I'd love to know what keeps you going, Dominique, because, you know, you're, you're studying at the same time as, as doing your activism work. I'm sure, like all of us, you must wake up and, and some days are, 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 are tougher than others. What keeps you going and, and have you experienced the kind of climate anxiety that we're hearing that a lot of young people are, are suffering from? Definitely. I mean, climate anxiety, I think, isn't talked about enough. It really, really affects like young people especially. And when I first kind of, you know, really discovered the severity of the climate crisis, you know, I was so anxious, you know, I was depressed, I just 
I couldn't really see there being a future and that, you know, there being hope. And even though, you know, I knew the really serious issues that we had to, you know, combat, like, you know, the ecological crisis, you know, and species going extinct and you know, social justice. When I went out on, like, my first protest, like, my first ever action, and I was surrounded by people who were fighting for the same thing, like, that is what really gave me hope to, like, keep going. And honestly, that really alleviated some of my climate anxiety. And for people who are suffering that, I'd really recommend, like, the more you get involved, the less, the better it will be, like, for you personally. It won't go away completely because, I mean, this is a terrible situation that we're in, but going on strikes and you know really being involved and feeling the momentum and you know just the spirit of this entire movement is really what keeps me going like every day when I feel like you know this is I feel more you know negative about the future I just look forward to the next strike and I look forward to being out there with more people on the streets for climate justice and you know that's really where the hope I think is coming from it's not coming from the inaction from these leaders it's coming from us the people who are pushing for it and that's what really keeps me going I'd like to say that I found the same despite being your parents generation that also it was being together with um with like-minded activists with friends in XR and and business leaders that are inspired by XR and students like yourself you know just being out there protesting making stuff happen yeah so kind of pushing that um that grief and that sense of 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 anxiety really pushing that through action actually does make a huge difference definitely young people and adults or young people and adults and how do we say it? Because clearly intergenerationally we need to be moving on this topic. It's yeah. no good for people of my age to be saying, oh, you know, as long as people grow up with climate education in school, it will all be okay. We need action now. And it yeah. just drives me mad when people say, mm-hmm. oh, let's let young people take care of it. It's outrageous, <laughs> isn't it? Is that the right terminology? When do you become an adult? Or surely you are. Yeah, it's quite um, difficult because, like you said, you would you know, view me as an adult because I'm 20 and... Technically, I am an adult, but I do consider myself a young person because of my position in how I'm going to like see the impacts of the. You mean you've got another seventy years maybe ahead of you of this? I think yeah. I think that's we'd like to have, wouldn't you? Yeah, Yeah, I would like to. Yes. Yeah, I think that's kind of where the definition comes from. But what you were saying about like intergenerational justice, like definitely, it's not just you know our fight, and it really. I just I really hate when it's left for you know us to pick up the pieces it's like okay it's fine the next generation can do it but it's about ensuring a habitable planet for every generation it's about making sure that you leave that you don't leave like pieces to pick up for the next generation our generation have reaped the benefits of uh, you know 1.7 earth's worth of resources every year that we consume in a system that you know, has been perpetuated by something that makes no logical sense. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, we don't want to leave our children and our grandchildren mm-hmm. with a situation of starvation and civil unrest and utter struggle. And and I think, you know, for me personally, when I think of how very scarce water will become, how we'll see crop failure and, you know, how we'll see huge civil unrest that is caused by poverty that will be created through 
and the consequences of climate change. Yeah. You know, it makes me extremely sad and extremely sad that, that you will have to pick up the pieces. I hope we have the urgent system change we need now so that we don't have to pick up the pieces. But, you know, because it will be the end of civilization as we know it, how we function everyday life will change dramatically. And, you know, the suffering is just unimaginable at this point. So, Dominique, I'd love to know, you started the day, got on a bus and came down Mm -hmm. to meet me in London, which is so incredibly kind of you. Tell me, what did you have for breakfast and and Mm -hmm. what are you wearing today? I have to ask you about fashion because I've been in sustainable and fair trade (laughs) fashion for 30 years. You have to. Um, Well, I usually have cereal, like some kind of plant-based milk, normally oat. However, today I was running... Like, I woke up kind of near when I needed to leave for my coach. So I just had an orange, which is really bad. But <laughs> it was a good orange. <laughs> and today I'm wearing this plaid shirt that I got from a charity store that I really like. It's quite comfortable and it's kind of... It's very yeah. lovely. I think it's brushed cotton, isn't it? Yeah, it's quite nice. And um, these trousers were actually from a swapping shop that my friend made. She made this event called um, Fuck Fast Fashion. And it's basically where people come in and they um, exchange one piece of clothing for, like, another piece of clothing. So it's just, like, encouraging, like, sustainable fashion, which is cool. And then one of my favourite pieces of trousers, like, pairs of trousers, so that's cool. And my shoes are from Koi Footwear, which is a vegan store, which is, yeah, a very comfortable outfit, I feel like. I mean. Do you think that... Um do you think that students involved with the student network or otherwise have actually started rethinking uh, about the, the environmental and the human rights impact of, of fast fashion? Has last year been a pivotal turning point, do you think? And think, if so, how? I think definitely. Like, a lot of the people that I speak to, like, in the movement really are, like, very conscious of that, very conscious of fast fashion and, you know, the human rights implications of that and the environmental implications of that and... You know, there have been, like, actions when it comes specifically to fashion and, like, fast fashion. And I feel like the awareness on that level has really grown, which is pretty amazing. And I just really want to push that into, like, the wider society as well. Because I feel like that's something that we're not tackling as much. And, you know, the fashion industry is huge when it comes to emissions and... Eight percent. Yeah. which is pretty insane for one industry so yeah we definitely need to be tackling that but yeah I feel like people have become more aware about it which is another thing that's great about the movement is that you become more aware of like all the different things that are linking into the climate crisis and the thing that would change it all will be this this new systems change that will Mm -hmm. that will come about with uh, with a a whole new way of, of really measuring growth because without it it's just business as usual isn't it and I'm afraid the uh, even the sustainability initiatives as important as they are unless we really start looking at reducing demand Mm -hmm. we don't have a hope in hell do we yeah that's yeah that's the difficult thing which is why we need a like a complete shift is why we really need like more ambitious work being put forward because it has to be a radical change otherwise like you said it will just be business as usual or just be you know these kind of smaller like sustainable initiatives which you know it's great for the people who are like like pushing them and you know we do need people pushing that but it's at this time it's not enough and 
know, we really need government as well to really be involved in that to like actually speed the process along because it's quite difficult without that. And you know, when it comes to fashion, you know, you're you're an expert, I think. And what do you think that um, climate friendly fashion would look like? I think to see something that's truly climate friendly and people friendly, we'd be looking at well, first we've got ten years of clothes in our wardrobe, so we would be buying second hands and vintage but when we're producing new fashion we should be looking at how we're using natural resource that would be for example organic cotton that's been created as a rotational crop by small-scale farmers that are that are paid fair wages that organic cotton would be put onto hand looms or into similar ways of really creating value addition and creating and supporting livelihoods for artisans and people in the, the majority world so what you get is if you look at the the, the price that we pay before it gets put in the store, mm-hmm. the FOB price, as we call it, the largest component of that would be labour. Mm-hmm. Because if we get a lot of labour as part of that price, it might mean that we spend more on our clothes, but crikey, we don't need to be buying 10 garments every every season. Exactly. If we're buying you know, 10 garments every, every two or three years, mm-hmm. but we've got lots of people that those garments have supported in the production mm-hmm. through hand weaving, print techniques, hand knitting, all of those skills, we'll be able to create a lot of jobs through that and lift a lot of people out of out of poverty and support them in their resilience build um, for the climate crisis. Yeah. I'd like to look at that further. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a goal for the future. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Dominique, you've, you've set my goal for me. <laughs> Great. Well, Thank you so much for making the time today. And um, tell me what we can do, three actions to support the Student Climate Network. Of course, we'll have details in the podcast notes, but if you could just tell the audience what they can do to support you and your activities. So firstly, come to the strikes. When we have the strikes again and, you know, stay updated on social so you can also come to the different actions that we'll be having. Um, Your social media, can you remind the audience what your um, social media are it's UKSCN on Instagram on Twitter UKSCN1 so if you just type in UKSCN you'll find us please come to those like that that's like the biggest thing you know also tell people you know spread it around share the content that we upload as well and you know people who have their own kind of like climate groups or are looking to like collaborate and things like that. And also, you know, if you have your own group or, you know, you have your own business and you're just looking to like collaborate, you know, with the school strikers, please like reach out to us. Honestly, that is, it's so like helpful. Like it's, it's really great to really have these collaborations and we're always looking to outreach with different groups. And that's really what we need in this movement is to come together. So that is the best way you can support us. And yes, we'll keep you updated on everything that's happening this year. Thanks so much, Dominique. It's been great having you on the show. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you found my podcast useful and thought-provoking. If you'd like to join fortnightly interviews, subscribe 